we're in about a two month, let's figure some shit out stage. I think it's, it's time to work on the business, on the people, on the systems, on the sales marketing so you can come out of the gate strong because we know that we will eventually be allowed back. And then it should be, it should be not business as usual, but you should be for the most part selling your same products and services again. So the big question is this, how do most agents who don't have access to the secrets that most successful agents hoard to themselves grow and prosper in today's competitive real estate environment? That's the question. And this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Pat Hyben, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Muchistegui. The interview you're about to hear is so applicable and so great for the, this crazy environment we're living in right now. Cameron Harold was the CEO of 1-800-GOT-JUNK when they grew up from just a couple million to 106 million. He's written five or six books, uh, Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs with Hal Elrod, Double Double, which talks about business, Vivid Vision, Meeting Suck, Free PR, a whole bunch of stuff that are super applicable to what is going on in our world right now. The biggest theme that him and I talked about today was not taking our eye off the ball for growth. You know, what we focus on grows, what we get out there grows. He's been my go-to business coach for hiring, building teams, company culture for years and years and years. So it's always good when I get to chat with him and a lot of the things today, I was taking notes like crazy of things that I'm gonna do this week for my business. I'm gonna reread a couple, he's got a couple, he's got a chapter in one of his books that says how to grow during slow times. Right, and he wrote it back in 2008, 2009, the last time we saw this like real estate crash stuff. And I'm gonna go reread that today because I know that that's gonna be so applicable for what's next. So get ready to take a lot of notes and just be excited and be ready to focus on solutions this week and see what else we get out of it. So before, you know, without further ado, you got Cameron Harold. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui. Hey, I'm so excited to interview a good friend of mine today, Cameron Harold. You know, I've looked up to Cameron for several years. I first got to see him speak in uh, Vancouver, or was it, was it, I think it was Whistler a couple years ago, spoke to our GoBundance group at the time, was talking about, you know, kind of how to hire, how to lead, how to big, build businesses. I went to a two or three day retreat in Scottsdale and really got to dive in with like 10 or 15 other companies and get some one-on-one time really changed the way I set up my businesses. And if there's ever a question I have about, you know, negotiating with an employee or working out salaries or how to create culture, Cameron is my go-to guy. And so I thought this would be a great time for us to chat with how many changes are going on with the world right now. Like Cameron coaches leaders, he builds leaders. And what the world needs right now is a ton of leaders. So Cameron, how's it going, man? The, where are you at today? Aaron, thanks very much for having me on. And by the way, if, if we're uh, people are watching right now or seeing any clips from this later as well, I am sitting in my bed. Uh, I am in Scottsdale, Arizona under this quarantine right now. I'm also um, in recovery from my hip replacement. I got my hip replaced 10 days ago. So that's why I'm actually working from bed today. But I do have, you know, proper outfit on and I'm engaged. So but if you see the pillow behind me, that's why. Dude, that's a great like Zoom etiquette even just to start with, right? Like, so Cameron is sitting in bed post knee replacement, but he's dressed up. He's like ready for the interview. We've seen so many jokes lately of people like entering their Zoom call like 
not showering, showing up for work. So that's I was I was going to put on my Hugh Hefner smoking jacket and pretend that I was lying in bed, but I didn't have you know three girls with me. So yeah, if you had if you had the robe on. So Cameron, so you're you're stuck in Scottsdale. You're you know you're kind of you're ten days in from recovery, and it seems like lately a bunch of people have been reaching out to you on social media. Yeah. Um, you know, asking you what to do right now. Like you, you lead leaders, you've got, you run the CO Alliance. There's so many different things uh, that you help and people are asking you like how to lead, what should we do for your business? What's the biggest question people are asking this week? They're starting to ask questions around sales and marketing and how do we do sales and marketing when our prospects are nervous or scared? Is it wrong to be out doing sales and marketing? But they're starting to think towards that. The last two weeks, there was an awful lot of questions related to damage control and risk mitigation and expenses and um, decisions on do I lay off or do I furlough or do I pay people? What do we do? And then there was also a lot of the fear stuff. So I actually even coach a CEO with 100 employees over in Milan, Italy. So they're in the the geo hotspot um, for coronavirus in Italy right now. And I've been talking to him a lot over the last month and just gotten insights from them too that I've been sharing with clients. Wow, the coaching someone in the center of Milan. And yeah, it's, it kind of sounds like that's the evolution people have. Like beginning of last week, we, we kind of got into, into that damage control panic mode of like, what yeah. if we lose a bunch of subscribers? What if we lose a bunch of customers? You know, what do we have? So we kind of looked at our costs and said, all right, what would we have to cut? What would we have to do if we have to sustain for six months? Well, and this was a discussion I had with the CEO recently. She had 65 employees and she was talking about all of her cost cutting and I said, what have you, um, what revenue ideas have you come up with? She goes, oh, we haven't had time for that. I'm like, so what marketing have you been doing in the last 10 days? Well, we haven't had time for that. I'm like, so wait, you're worried your business is going to shrink because of this and you're finding all the areas to cut. If that's all you focus on, your business will shrink. You've never gone two weeks without doing sales and marketing and business development in your history. Why would you stop now? But people tend to get so panicked and restricted that they don't even notice they're taking their eye off that revenue ball. And then the second discussion I had this week with a client, he's got about 85 employees um, based in near Detroit. We were talking and he said that, that his average, the average business in his industry will shrink by 30% this year. So he was putting in plans in place to, you know, be able to manage through that 30% contraction. And I said, well, what's your, you know, where are you on the body mass index against Americans? He goes, I'm in the top 1% on health. I'm like, how about in terms of wealth? He goes, I'm totally in the top 1% on wealth. And I said, and how about your business? How does it do against all the other businesses in your industry? He goes, definitely top 5%, top 10%. So, so if you're in the top 1% to 10% on everything, why are you preparing to be average on the way your business operates this year? Why don't you plan to be it? Because to be minus 30 on average, that means some have to be minus 50, some have to be minus 70, some have to go bankrupt, some have to be minus 10, some probably have to be plus 30 choose to be in that group that goes plus 30. But if he goes, holy shit, he goes, let's start talking about it. We just, we then spent almost 90 minutes talking about how to do acquisitions during this time right now, how to actually um, drive sales and marketing with his team, how to grow his salespeople's skills. It was mind blowing. And now he's got his entire leadership team focused on growing this year while everybody else is slow. I think that is such a huge thing for any of our listeners out there right now. And it was, it was the same trap that I fell into. So for the first few days last week, it was like that. And I think Wednesday I woke up and said, okay, I've, I've done the damage control. Now I know I can survive, but, 
but how about thrive? Like, let's start reaching out to our people proactively. We did a webinar on Friday and there was hundreds of people that stayed on for two hours. And it was like, wow, that was the best webinar we've ever done at a time when people have questions, they need answers. They need us more than ever. Right. And I think if you're out there proactively in any business, for the, for the most part, most business and services still need to go on. If you had a, if you had a, a big market three weeks ago, you certainly still have one today. But if you don't keep going on the sales and marketing, you're not going to know that you're there. Um, or retooling your business right now. It's a great time to retool. It's a great time to work on all your SOPs and, and systemize everything in Process Street. It's a great time to clean house, clean your warehouses, clean your offices, clean your desks. Um, clean your filing systems, delete old files. Like imagine if you just spent two weeks where you never have time to do all this deep cleaning. Imagine if you spent one to two weeks deep cleaning. Send employees into the office one or two a, a day to just clean their space out. And, or, or how about training our people? You know, we often have the excuse, oh, I don't have time to train my people. Well, now you have time. So imagine if you train them on interviewing train them on effective meetings, train them on email management, train them on time management, et cetera. And if you could really work on skill development right now, you can come out of this strong too. Yeah, investing so much on, on like that skill development and then really taking advantage of the time. Like I don't know what the number is for the amount of commuting time that people are saving right now. So we're, we're not in the car you know, even though people have to get used to working from home and like communicating remotely and working from remotely, there's an opportunity for things to become more productive, right? Oh yeah. I think this is going to be, there's, there's going to be a couple of huge quantum shifts that come out of um, this space. The first is I think all of the companies are always against telecommuting, always against working from home. They're pretty quickly figuring out that it actually can work. So it's really going to open up for every company, for the most part, the ability to have remote teams, remote employees, fractional employees, offshore employees. That changes the global landscape of employment. It also changes the global landscape of, of commercial office leasing and commercial office space. Um, but I think we're going to see companies that have never, ever, ever considered it strongly starting to have that as part of their culture or their DNA going forward. Yeah, you know, I've had businesses that everyone worked remotely. I've had businesses that we all worked in an office and I've never had the hybrid. And coming out of this, you know, this more recently was realizing like there's pros and cons to both. Like when all of us are face to face and we have that energy and we're excited, like working on things together, it can grow some things. But when we're all, when we're working remotely, we can work more efficiently. There's less distraction. We can, you know, focus on different projects. And I think when we come back into this, my teams are going to be a hybrid of a couple of days a week at the office, a couple of days a week at home. I think everybody's going to appreciate that um, as we get through there. You know, one big thing, like you are like the king of culture, right? Yeah, every, every time I've gone to the workshops with you, it's been about building culture, building that company where everybody you know, wants to be on the bus, right? And we toured a bunch yep. of cool offices in Scottsdale and saw that stuff. What do you think happens with culture in this time? You know, when people are working remotely, you know, you can't have the fun stuff on the office walls to build culture the same way. Do you have any ideas or tips for people yeah, to just build culture? Interesting timing. So I just got off a coaching call, coaching a client in Detroit. He's got about a hundred employees. He runs a manufacturing shop. And I was talking to him about culture while they're basically in shutdown. He's fully paying all of his employees for three months, full salaries, paying them all, decided to make good on it. And he's blown their minds, completely blown their minds. While they are gone, he's redoing the internal office space. So he's got it all being repainted and redeckled and all freshened up so they come back 
to a cool space. Great time to do that. Second thing is we talked about what could you be sending them twice a week that would help make their lives better? So he's already taken care of the financial side. But what about health? Could he send them meal plans once or twice a week? Could he buy them all, you know, crockpot cookbooks um, and send them out to all of his people? Could he send videos of cooking stuff? Could he send out activities to do with kids, activities to do with your spouse, activities to do with your friend while remote? Like, could he start creating some fun content to share with these? His employees wouldn't expect that at all. Um, and then we also talked about when they come back to work, what's one activity we can put in place that's new, that's never been done before, that the employees will have fun at and can engage in kind of getting some fresh air and some activity. So if you think about Detroit, what are what are some of the sports that Detroit might be known for? The well, I don't know. What's the? Uh, I'm 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 from West Coast and now and now Texas. So the I'm not the right answer for that. Well, so you might not. So hockey is what Detroit Detroit people are known for. Hockey, right? Detroit okay. Red Wings, one of the original six hockey teams. They've got baseball and football like everybody else, but they're one of the true NHL hardcore NHL cities, right? The Motor City. And um, so we talked about just go get two road hockey nets and 10 road hockey sticks. And imagine if you create a little road hockey league within your company where one game was played every day of the week and the teams are made up of a mishmash of some manufacturing people, some finance people, some salespeople, and some marketing people become a team. So you force them to start hanging out and getting to know each other. So he's going to do something like that. And, and um, I think it's just looking for ways to connect with your employees and know that they matter making sure they know that they matter is yeah. going to be more important than ever. I think also that's making a- sure that, and making sure that, that we're aware that, you know, they have extended family that they're worried about, right? They've got a mom or a dad who's 79 years old that they might be worried about, or they've got a cousin who's, you know, you know, compromised, they might be worried about, et cetera. Yeah. There, there, I mean, there was really so much to unpack right there, right? Like part of company culture and building is taking people from those different departments and having them work together towards something that they normally wouldn't, you know, adding some fun back into the workplace, especially when we're going to be coming back after a time of this, you know, concern and things like that. You know, one of the things that I've seen you perform on stage before, maybe in a group is kind of, it's that triangle of needs, right? Like of, of people's basic needs. And at the top, I think is First, they need safety, right? They need shelter. They need to know where they're going to live. They need to know where they're going to eat. And it's yep. kind of like he's attacking that first. And leaders, we have the opportunity right now with people around us, whether it's family, friends, employees, you know, to make sure that they feel safe. Like how we lead during this time, they create a, t- a, a totally different culture, right? Yeah. The, the way we, And the other thing our employees are looking for more than ever right now on culture is in, the followers want to follow and it's time for leaders to lead. They want leaders who are connected with reality. So they, they, we can't be so oblivious to the fact that we're in a crisis, but they need to have positive and some momentum and some forward motion to go after. So it's kind of like being empathetic to where we are. It's like, we're not going to talk about it all the time. We get it. There's a pandemic. We're in it. We got it. And let's put that aside for the week. We can, we'll talk about it. Again. Like we know we're there, but to talk about it all the time is pointless. Yeah. So now let's talk about growing our company, taking care of our people, growing ourselves, growing our systems, where are we headed, cutting expenses, right? Acquisitions, when your competition is drowning, stick a hose in their mouth. But that's where we need to be be focusing on now is the go forward plan. But it needs to be done by a leader who is calm, focused, energetic, 
and still connected with reality, but not obsessed with talking about it all the time. Yeah, being, that's super good advice for everybody out there right now, right? It's- no, it's kind of like, uh, just, just for a second, I think about my, my mom, when she was dying, she was, was terminally ill with cancer for, um, for six years. She didn't want to keep talking about the fact she was dying. We all knew she was dying. And she right. felt like shit. So to ask her how she was feeling after chemo and radiation, she wouldn't talk about that. She wouldn't talk about what we were into and what we were doing that was fun and where we were going and what our plans were going to be and memories of our, our past lives. She didn't want to talk about all that other shit. Yeah. Totally. It's, it, you're right. It's all over the news. It's all over everything. It becomes all part of family conversations and everything that's there. But the, but yeah, by now everyone, it's kind of like originally that, that triangle is like, Hey, people need, you know, shelter, safety, food. And then they get to start adding in these different things with the pandemic like this at first. It's like, all right, protect yourself, put your oxygen mask on first, make sure you can grow, but then don't take you the ball off the prize. Let's still talk about the fun, exciting stuff. What are the shifts that we can do out of this and the, and how can we, like, what's the fun stuff? What's the good news going on in the world? It's kind of like you, whatever you yeah. focus on, you know, grows, whatever, you know, whatever. Yeah, where, you focus, where your focus goes, energy flows. And, and that's, that's something that I actually learned uh, even going through my hip replacement surgery was I was told by the doctor, I also had, had to get some dental stuff done. And they said, don't get that dental work done right now because your body will be trying to heal two spots and it won't know what to do. I'm like, wow, interesting. Like your body intuitively knows heal the damaged spot so that my focus is sending all this energy down to my hip but if i had two focal points in my body that needed work the, the body gets all confused and goes into shock yeah it is totally like that real estate rock stars this is aaron amuchastegui and as you know when you've been hearing these episodes so many of our guests give us lots of free gifts and share the tools they've been using to become successful we've got free real estate tools scripts ebooks marketing materials and more we keep track of everything in our vault and it's updated with new items each and every week if you want access to that stuff it's totally free for being a listener all you have to do is go to agentsuccesstoolbox.com agentsuccesstoolbox.com and get your free gifts now You know, a fun side note. So the 1-800-GOT-JUNK, you know, one of the, the big things that you did, the, you took it from 2 million to like 100 million as the, the CEO there. They were actually at my house a few hours ago. So the, right. you know, out, out here in Austin, the, they've been my go-to for the quick little thing. A great example of like a franchise that grows, that has that around there. The, the, you know, when it comes to like businesses that you've built and grown, you know, was, is there like one or two big things you learned with those with the big companies that you think everybody should strive for? Oh, for sure. And and by and we took it to 106 million just because I don't want to shortcut myself that last yeah. six. Are there some things that I've learned? Do you want, do you want to go failure learn lessons or let's, just overall? let's start with that? Yeah, the the failure lessons are the big ones. Okay, so the big failure lesson. Well, let me let me tell you the three things just so I don't forget them. The three big things that we did to make sure that we scaled the company. So when I came in, we had 14 employees at the head office. We were doing about two million in sales, um, and I focused the company around three core things. Number one was to drastically raise our prices by about 40 percent. We went from 338 dollars for a full truck to 438 dollars a full truck overnight. And I said, look, we're not making any money. 
and our franchisees aren't making any money. So let's raise our prices. And if people don't use us, well, we're no worse off because we're not making any money anyway. Yeah. But we can't deliver a great service like we want to and have a great brand like we want to and, and all make money if we don't charge enough. So we have to be the Starbucks of junk removal or the FedEx of junk removal. We have to raise prices. And Brian, the CEO, pushed back a little bit, but was smart enough to just trust me on this one. And we went for it. And it was huge for us because it gave us all that extra margin to run with. And sure enough, all of our competitors started to raise their prices as well. And we set a whole new bar for the industry that was actually profitable. Second thing was we wanted to turn our company into a cult. And I really wanted the organization to understand that to really grow quickly, you had to be slightly more than a business, slightly less than a religion. You had to be in that zone of a cult. And it was because we'd always need more great people, more great people, more great people. The culture is what was going to allow us to bring those people into the organization quickly. And then thirdly, it was PR. And it was how much free press coverage could we get about our company? Because the more press coverage that we got, anytime our competitor was ever mentioned, we would be mentioned with them. And our customers and our suppliers and our potential employees would believe everything they read in the media much more than they would believe what we told them to be true. So those were really the three core pillars that we built the organization off of. We ended up landing 5,200 stories about our company in the media over a six-year period. Uh, we went on to become the number two company in all of Canada to work for. And our pricing is probably another 10 or 15, 20% higher than it was when I left, you know, after building it for six years. So we're, we're in that, that zone of world-class brand. They're about 450 million in revenue now. Um, I've been gone for 13 years, so they're still scaling. And yeah, on the failure side, uh, we almost lost the company at one point. Um, at one point, we had uh, been growing so quickly, opened up in Australia, opened up in the UK, opened 13 corporate locations, paid $600,000 in bonuses, spent $800,000 on a reno, uh, about a million dollars in taxes that were owed. We sucked a whole bunch of cash out of our bank accounts to pay cash for it all, thinking you just, that's what you do in your company. We didn't understand how to run a big company, but we'd become one. You know, we had 3,000 employees system-wide. We had 250 people at the head office. And our, our finance, our head of finance, Hendra, was very quiet, very amiable, very analytical. And he would never push us. If he did push us, it would be like this. Uh, Cameron and Brian, I think you guys should be careful. I think we might be going to. Are you sure we're going to be okay? And we're like, yeah, yeah, we got this. Okay. And he'd kind of walk away. So we never really, even if he got angry, it was like, I think we should be careful. We should be more careful. We're, you get two dominant expressive guys. We steamrolled over top of that until the point that Brian had to borrow $420,000 from his mom one day to meet payroll two days later. Uh, and we almost lost the company. We were getting daily pro forma cash flow statements updated every single day. Um, and we had to literally turn the corner on this behemoth. So that was a big mistake that we made. Uh, another one that I learned was just keeping things on my plate for too long. But there was a lot of tasks that I was quite capable of doing, but I didn't love to do. A lot of tasks that I was able to get done, but I wasn't delegating to other people fast enough. And sometimes my best work at something I sucked at was terrible versus somebody else's, you know, okay effort. But they were really, really good at it. You know? So yeah. you, getting stuff off my plate and into the hands of other people momentum creates momentum but as a as an early stage entrepreneur and where i had been trained at college pro painters a lot of it was around the radical 
kind of individualism and really I can do it, I can crank it out, I can do it, I can crank it out, but that doesn't scale. So that was another big lesson to learn early on. Yeah. There's, you know, you talked about growing the company and the, and not being ready to be a behemoth. And I, I, even though it happened to me on a much smaller scale back in like 2011, 2012, I wasn't, I had no idea what was going to happen. At first it was like when you start a business, like you want to grow it. People don't always have that vision to like what they're going to do later or they don't know their why. And so then you get all this money and you're not ready. What can people do to prepare to be that big company? Is it vision stuff? Is it have the right accountant? Like, like what could have happened differently to be more ready? I'd say two things. The first one is vision. Really, really, truly having a strong vision of where you're going and what your company looks like in the future so you know what you're building and what you're working towards. Secondly would be some pro formas and some budgets or plans that you're working towards making that vision come true. And third would be probably working really, really closely at extending your, your network of mentors, of people you can plug into, of coaches, of uh, mastermind groups to join, of peer groups that you can be in, of other CEOs. The more that you can realize that you don't have to know how to do everything. You just have to know the people who know how to do those things so that you can either ask them questions, get mentored or outsourced to them or hire them. I think that's a huge lesson for people to think about in the early days. So know where you're going focus on the plans to get there and build those masterminds and the coaching relationships and the network of individuals you can turn to. It was one of the biggest things I learned at GoBundance was I've got a half a dozen to a dozen amazing guys that I really like spending time with that know a lot about real estate. I know nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Entrepreneurship can be such a lonely thing, right? Especially at the beginning when I was early on in it, I hadn't met other entrepreneurs. I didn't know other guys. I didn't know other guys that were successful like this. The only people I could talk to were other like parents in line at my kid's school. And so it was really difficult to get those answers. And when I first started getting exposed to, you know, masterminds and business coaches and being able to reach out to guys like you about like, Hey, Mike, this guy's asking for a raise and I don't want to lose them, but I can't afford like, what, what do I do here? And the, it's one of the reasons why I've always hated that whole adage that, you know, learning from failure is good. I'm like, no, learning from failure is really expensive. If someone else has already learned from failure, why don't we learn from it before we fail? Yeah. Why do I want to fail to learn stuff? That's a terrible model. I learn from someone else's failure, you know, the, and right now we're, you know, as we look at the, you know, kind of the, the time that we're in, I try to look back into 2001, 2002 and 2008, 2009 for us to try to relook at failure from back then you know, at, at what happens and, and maybe help people, you know, focus on what's out there. So whatever industry people are in, I think you can look at what's in the past. You know, if, if your business wasn't around in, in like 01 when things change or in 08, 09 when things change, like find people that have and study them and reach out to them. You know, I've got a call after this, so I'm reaching out to a guy in the industry on our foreclosure listing company. I'm wondering what's going to happen to our subscriptions during this time. So I'm like, I'm going to reach out to the guy that has more subscribers of his software than anybody else. And he went through this in 2008, 2009. Like I got to uh, ask him what happened. So simple, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how we tend to, and it's partially because we are conditioned in the school system that we have, we, if we had to learn something, we had to learn it. We had to study it. We had to be good at ourselves. We had to work really hard at it. That's not actually what scales the company. So you have to be a little bit lazier and a little bit more connecting into other people. It needs to get done, but not by us. Um, it's funny you mentioned 2008-2009, uh, chapter 11 of my book, Double Double, and it was, it was named chapter 11 on purpose, um, is how to grow and it's slow. And it's all of my best tips that I took out of the 2008-2009 crisis on how to grow your company during an economic downturn 
and people are flocking back to that chapter today because it's been you know 11 years since we've really had one of those. Dude, that's such a, I'm going to pull that back out. I've got your book. I've got the book Double Double, pulling out chapter 11 and reread that. I will end up rereading that because it's time. Sometimes we even forget our own tips, right? Like I need to go back and look at old emails from back then to be like, what was I, what was the plan then? What do I need to well, do? It was, it was funny. I was talking to one of my clients and he goes, what tips for you have you got on, on how to grow when it's slow right now? And I started laughing. I went, wow, I totally forgot about it. But that's the name of one of my chapters in my books, how to grow when it's slow. Let me just grab the chapter. I'd forgotten that I'd written a chapter on it. It's in a book. It's been published for 10 years. Yeah. Even my wife and I have a book, The Five-Hour School Week, and it's, and it, you know, it's about parenting and the, the ups and downs of that. And we have to remind ourselves to read it periodically because we wrote it when we were like in the honeymoon phase of like how to get through all the stuff. And sometimes on tough days, we're like, no, we wrote a whole thing about this. Let's go back and review that, even though it's just been a few years. That'd be a great book to make sure that you get some PR about right now so that we can get people um, reading that book in terms of how to educate their kids. She is, my wife's page is blowing up right now. Like that is because of what's going on, everybody is resharing it. They're like, well, what do we do now? And it's, it's all about the work-life balance of how do you work from home and teach your kids from home. And can you send me, a link, send me a link to that when you're done? I want to share that with my group too, please. Could you send me a link? Awesome. I'll send you a link and, and, and send you whatever you need on it. The, cool. You talked about vision. And, you know, vivid vision is a big Cameron Herald thing. I've done it with all my different businesses. And in a, in a nutshell, it's really going deep and writing out kind of what your vision for your company is in three years and five years. Like Elon Musk is great at it. You know, when you get to read some of his visions from years ago and what he's done with Tesla, you guys did it at 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And I think that was the company where you guys had actually put it on the wall. And one of the things on there was like, get on a Starbucks cup. Can you yeah, talk that about was, your vivid vision and, and how that came to, came to fruition? Sure. So you're, you're actually bringing up two tools that are kind of intertwined. The first one, the vivid vision, is the four or five page written document that describes your company three years from today. So it, it's almost as if you hopped into a time machine, you traveled out to December 31st, three years from now, and you walked around your company. What's it look like? What's it act like? What's the energy like? What's the culture like? What's the office environment look and feel like? How are people working remotely? What technology tools are you using? What's sales like? What's marketing like? What's operation? You describe every aspect of your company as if you're standing in that future state looking at it. You're not quite sure how it happened, but you know what it looks like. Then you get it all you know, uh, rewritten by a copywriter who makes it pop off the page. You get some design elements added to it so it really looks great like your brand. That's what aligns all of your customers, suppliers, employees, and potential employees so that everyone's locked and loaded on that three-year vision and driving towards that. That's the first tool. The second one is what we called our Can You Imagine wall. And that was when we walked into the front office of 1-800-GOT-JUNK. On the wall right in front of you as you walked in that door was this big blank wall. And Brian wanted to rip people out of the past and pull them into the future. So we thought, what a better way than to find out what they can imagine our company looking like in the future. And we asked our employees, what could they imagine? One that I put up was, can you imagine 100 franchise partners, which was insane when we put it up. We only had 20. Um, and then Brian wanted something big, like something really big. And I'm like, how about our logo on the side of the space shuttle? He's like, that's insane. That's how, how would that ever? I'm like, we could sponsor a junk hauling out of space. And he's like, that'll never happen. I'm like, well, what do you got? He goes, how about could you imagine being on Oprah? I'm like, that's ridiculous. We've got 23 employees. Like, and then he described what the episode on Oprah would sound like and what it would look like and how it would all lay out. And I'm like, shit, that sounds really good. Let's do it. So we put that on the wall. 
We ended up with about 40 different things that we could imagine happening, being on Starbucks cups, uh, having our company as a Harvard Business School case study, uh, you know, went on and on and on as to the things we imagined. And we put them up on the wall with the person who imagined them's name on the wall. And as they came true, month after month, things started coming true. We put like a big completed red logo over top of them so that you could see that that one had been kind of checked off as done. And it was a really fun way to get the team, the employees to come up with some ideas. You know, the Harvard Business School one is funny. We had a guy coming in for a tour of our company one day. We did tours at our office every Friday with about 30 to 35 business people every Friday for a few years. And on one day, one of the tours, this guy walked in, he goes, on your, can you imagine while it says, you know, being a Harvard Business School case study, he goes, is that serious? And we went, yeah. He goes, I know the guy at Harvard that makes that happen. Would you guys like an introduction? Six months later, we were approved, and for a period of about six or seven years, every Harvard MBA student studied one hundred got jumped. Yeah, so. what a, the it's, I didn't even really realize that the Imagine Wall was an employee created thing. That it was a team created thing. That, yeah. that, you know, that you guys got everybody in on it. Like, hey, what could you imagine? Not everybody, not everybody, but you, they they had to submit their ideas, and if they were good ones that weren't completely harebrained, we'd put them up there. Yeah. So most of them, a lot of them came true. You guys would now throw like cool images for the check boxes. You had the Oprah thing. Did you get on the Starbucks cup? We did get on the Starbucks cup. We were cup number 70 worldwide. I think it was seven, either 5 million or 7 million cups for free. It was a quote from Brian. So what was on the wall said 1-800-GOT-JUNK being featured on Starbucks cups. They had a series at that time called The Way I See It. And they had quotes from famous people on the cups. And it would be like Yo-Yo Ma, cellist you know, or Daniel Ramsey, chef, but it would never name their brands or their restaurants. So they, they were going to have a quote from Brian as entrepreneur. It was all about like, you are what you can't let go of. Like it's time to declutter your life or something crazy that we made up. And um, they said, it'll say Brian Scudamore entrepreneur. And we said, no, no, it has to say Brian Scudamore 1-800-GOT-JUNK. We sent them a photo of our Can You Imagine wall. We were the first brand to have its name on a Starbucks cup anywhere in the world. Yeah, you guys are able to say, look, we've had this dream forever. It's on our wall. Like, you can't leave the 1-800-GOT-JUNK out. Like, here yeah. it is. Now, there's a fun side story to that. So the girl who came up with the idea of having our name on Starbucks Cups was Andrea Baxter. She spearheaded the whole thing, made it happen, had it on the wall. Uh, when all of a sudden there was a block on getting the name up, I had a personal connection to Howard Schultz because about 10 years later, uh, even more than that, 1994, I was dating Howard Schultz's kid's nanny uh, when I was living in Seattle. So I used to have to go into their home and wave. And uh, my mentor was being groomed as the COO at Starbucks. So we sent my mentor a note. He got, got Howard Schultz to sign off personally on the name being on the Starbucks cups. And that was the, the way it happened. Man, the, it's really kind of magic, right? Like company visions and goals. And when you focus on it, it's just we talked about it with like, the knee and everything else, like what we focus on grows. And so again, that big reminder for right now, like we're, this podcast is getting released like right after we interview it, because the reason I want to talk to Cameron is because the world, everyone, so many people in the world right now think it's broken. Right. And it's, and we're, and we're going to, if nothing else today, we're going to really challenge everybody to say, focus on what's going to work. Focus on the big visions. Don't come back on your goals. Now don't sell your goals short like take this time to focus on what's good. You know, 
three weeks ago, I did a detailed vivid vision for one of my new companies. And I did my, my three-year plan and what our podcasts would look like and what all of our brands would look like and what our real estate services would look like. And, the, you know, and we were just getting ready to make that image. And then all of a sudden, the world gets put on hold. And I'm looking oh. at that going, do I change my vision? What do, you think, what do you think to that? What do you think to people that are like, do I change everything right now? Well, it depends. I mean, if you're, if you're in the World Trade Center and a plane hits your building and you're, you know, Cantor Fitzgerald or if the mortgage crisis hits and the mortgage industry is shot for a year or if you're forced to shut down, yeah, you might have to change. I think where we are right now is so unprecedented that it's less about our business model or vision necessarily needing to change as to more like we're in about a two-month let's figure some shit out stage. I think it's, it's time to work on the business, on the people, on the systems, on the sales marketing so you can come out of the gate strong because we know that we will eventually be allowed back. And then it should, be, it should be not business as usual, but you should be, for the most part, selling your same products and services again. So I wouldn't necessarily force a pivot. I think what I would do is look for any of the things that we can do that have us working on the business instead of in the business. That's great. So don't pivot, grow your brand. Whatever brand you had right now will be around in a little bit with a few exceptions and, and maybe some new businesses that are created. Like some of yeah. the biggest businesses are created out of times. But don't you know, focus on that stuff, right? Don't focus on the stuff that's going to die. I mean, stuff always dies. We're, we're going to die. Like let's focus on, on what happens when we get through this and how we're going to come out of it stronger. Yeah. You know, we talked a little bit earlier about some of the, the positives that'll come out of this. And, you know, you look at like, so much, so many fewer car accidents that have happened recently and like, and like pollution and all sorts of, you know, stories around the world. Can you think of any other, and we talked about them a little, can you think of any other positives that you think might come out of this other than people changing their business habits? Well, one for sure is the way businesses can grow. There's definitely been a, a tone towards empathy. I think there's a lot more empathy going along, a lot more of saying hi to strangers than there used to be. Um, I've just noticed that even my girlfriend will take me out for a walk at night and throw me in a wheelchair and walk me around the block as my hip is recovering from this hip replacement. And um, just talking to people and saying hi to people you wouldn't normally be waving to. I've, I think there's a little bit more maybe humanity that's coming back in. There's certainly a lot more people understanding where certain parts of the world are that they didn't know before because they get so myopic and focusing on their own world, their own country. They don't notice stuff outside of it. That's going to be a change. I guess there's going to be a clean house where companies are getting good at ripping off the Band-Aid and making decisions quickly and swiftly. That's a good skill to have that they've all now you know, benefited from making those tough decisions, confronting the brutal facts. Um, that's probably a skill that will stay with people. Yeah. When you say empathy, that, actually, that, that part just gives me chills, right? Because really, I, I'm at the grocery store and I'm thanking the people for still being there. I'm thanking the Amazon driver for still delivering. You know, any place that is kind of still open, half working, uh, I'm seeing innovation. There's this uh, sit-down Mexican food restaurant, you know, that, that I went driving by the other night and they have this makeshift drive-through set up. So they've got this drive-through sign set up. You can order five of the menu, the menu items and people are just running it out to different cars and they've got cones set up in like a normal parking lot. Right. So you're seeing this innovation and then every, they're like, thank you for coming. And you're like, thank you for being here. And so the, uh, and then the walks, I hope that the people in our neighborhood continue to go for walks in the evening because it wasn't something that happened before. Everyone's yeah. doing it now. 
we've we've seen a family recently that we've never at once seen them out walking and they've been out every single night going for a walk now too so that's a great thing yeah so i think there is going to be some stuff that's going to come out of it i think it's going to be a long painful harsh hard road i think it's going to be possibly harder than many thought it was going to be myself included um but i think in in many ways that there's going to be some good stuff come out of it yeah about focusing on that good you know for the people that are really putting their foot on the gas right now and they're like hey this is a big opportunity and we see it and we're primed for this that need to go hire new talent like i think there's yeah who knows right now there's a whole bunch of government intervention that's saying hey keep people employed we'll pay for them but I also think that there's going to be a lot of shifting of that. I think people are, are going, going to take this as a time to retool. Maybe there's going to be some good employees that are let go and shifted. How do you think people should go about trying to hire right now? I mean, is it the same as, as, your, as your recommendation for how people always hire? And do you think there's going to be a big shift of, uh, of roles and jobs right now? I think, well, I guess I would certainly be more open to hiring remote, right? Hire the best talent for the best compensation plan, of, like the people that work best with your company and your culture. Uh, regardless of where they live. Yeah. I think there, you know, there always has to be, and this is one of the reasons why I keep bringing up training your people. It's scary to me how many companies have managers and employees that do job interviews that have never been trained on how to do an interview. That makes no sense to me. Like why you, you know, you would never send your kid off to little league baseball without knowing how to throw a ball and hold the bat and catch a ball. Why would you let your employees run a job interview without knowing how to do them? So I would be training all my employees on job interviews. I'd be training them all on running meetings. I would be having, so anyway, on the interviewing side, I think it's more of a retooling opportunity than anything. Most companies won't change the way they do stuff. Yeah. I love the tip though, about just now that we're going to be reopened and kind of re-shown that people can work remotely. Like the, there would be times before that we wouldn't look at somebody that's getting hired from far away right now because it's like, no, we're trying to build that culture. We're trying to get it close. Now that everyone's used to that, it's like finding the best talent for the right thing. You've always been a thing of that, like teach people how to have meetings, teach people how to interview. Like the people that do the interviews have only been interviewed a couple of times in their life or they don't know the systems with that. Which, which of your books is the best one for learning how to interview? Um, I know Meeting Suck is the best one for learning how to do a meeting. Do you have one that meeting, talks about yeah. interviews? For, for interviewing, I would say there's a couple of chapters in Double Double that are really focused on it. The giveaway, all the tools that I've used for years on how to interview, recruit, and hire. Um, I would also read a book called Who by Jeff Smart um, that is really quite good as well. It took all the content from top grading and distilled it down and simplified it. Yeah. And then recruitment, the, do you think right now people are going to, you know, still have the opportunity to use social media? I think some of the tools we talked about in the past was saying, hey, find me this person and, and I'll pay you a finder's fee and I'll, I'll help you with that. Like, I just want to find the best out there. Have you seen a lot of that right now? I think there's going to be a lot more of the freelance recruiters happening for us now. I think you're going to find that, that people are adapting and there'll be a lot more freelancers in the gig economy. I'm starting to use them just for the CO Alliance to get some recruiters to go out and find me members of the CO Alliance, Alliance and then paying them a bounty. It's basically a recruiting role. So I think that role will become sharper. People will get more adept at it. And then we'll also probably see some of the percentage rates we have to pay drop because um, they'll realize that they don't need 25% if they're working from home and they get two or three great clients a year, they can do it on 12. Uh, so we'll probably find that the recruiting cost using freelancers drops in half of what we're currently paying. Yeah, some of those big things as people make the shifts, you know, I, I can't thank you enough for giving us so much time that you've given us, especially, you know, hip recovery time and things like that. The COO Alliance is the big thing that you've been growing right now. The, I know you've got, 
you've got so many books. That's why I'm asking you, you which book, and I think you have a, a new one that just came out. But the COO Alliance is your big focus. If people are looking for that group for their COO, um, is there like an entry place to find you, see about what you do, videos, things like that? Yeah, for sure. And by the way, the, I think the best two books for your niche are going to be The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs, which is quite strong. I co-authored that with Hal Elrod. Hal Elrod. And then uh, Free PR is another one on how to generate free publicity, which is great for anyone in the real estate industry as well. And then, yeah, my COO Alliance, you need a minimum, re- minimum revenue criteria of $5 million in revenue. We like to have about 30 employees or plus, And we've got members from five countries. Uh, just go to the COOalliance.com and all the information is there. Yeah. And just go find Cameron on social media too. I mean, the first time we ever really started chatting was I, I had a question about an employee and I just said, Hey, like I'm struggling with this problem. I don't want to lose the employee. What can I do it? And he had a million different ideas of how to do compensation or bonuses or different things to make sure we retained them. I listened to them. They listened to us. So social media, you can find Cameron Harold. The timing of the of Hal's podcast was actually re-released today as you and I are recording this because I wanted, because we have an old interview with him on here and I thought this would be a great time for people to re-listen to The Miracle Morning. Amazing. And in Cameron's book, The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs that he wrote with Hal, free PR. Like this is, if we had more time, we'd probably dive way into that. But right now it seems like free PR, there's a gazillion opportunities for that, especially in the world that we live in and can focus on the positive stuff that's out there. Yeah, it could be really, really powerful for your group. By the way, quick side note for you or for anybody, you can edit this out if you don't want to, but my girlfriend has just listed her home in Scottsdale. If anyone wants an investment property, it's fully furnished, high-end, including all stereo artwork, everything ready to go, turnkey package for somebody to have as a higher-end rental. Small three-bedroom place in Scottsdale that's um, perfect. She's heading off to traveling around the world for three years, but if anybody wants to pick up a place here, it's a great one to grab. It's super nice too. I saw the pictures yeah. of it on Facebook. As soon as Airbnb opens back up, I'm sure somebody is going to grab it for that. Well, and it's, I think it's better than the Airbnbs. I think it's one of those ones that you'll find people that will rent it for a full year, at really good money because they want to have a sustainable place for the year. Um, I mean, there's lots of money in that Airbnb space. What the hell do I know? You're the real estate guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, we will, we will check it out, look closer at that. So remember, Cameron Harold, you can find out all sorts of info about him, CameronHerald.com. His books, Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs, Double Double, Vivid Vision, Meeting Suck. I'm going to reread Double Double Chapter 11 and Free PR was that last one. Hey, Cameron, thanks for coming on and providing so much value like you always do. I think so many, I think a lot of our listeners are going to learn so much today and really, you know, have that big attitude shift of focus on the solution. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks very much for having me. Say hi to the guys at GoBundance. I was just chatting with Brad Weimart the other day who um, you're friends with as well. So yep. good to uh, good to reconnect with you as, as well. We'll say hi to everybody. We'll have you back on stage soon. Thanks, buddy. See ya. Rockstar Nation, thank you for listening to Real Estate Rockstars. Listen, I need a favor. If you find this free content helpful, if you find our downloadable items from each guest helpful, please, I need you to pull out your pointing finger. Yes, the one finger that points at people and hit subscribe yes subscribe the more subscribers we get the better we look in the ratings and the easier it is to get guests like robert kiyosaki barbara corcoran all the players that are on the million dollar listing in the different cities all that stuff makes it easier the more subscribers we get so please subscribe and 
listen, there's a lot of places you can leave comments. There's a lot of places you can like. We're on Facebook. We have an Instagram page. Instagram page is I am Pat Hyben. The Facebook is Real Estate Rockstars Radio. Feel free to leave us comments there. The most popular form of commenting seems to happen on YouTube. Yes, for whatever reason, it's a very open environment. So just go to YouTube and go to Real Estate Rockstars Radio and leave us comments there. Some of them we will read on the show. And we love your feedback. So thanks, guys, and I hope you are having a great day. Oh, and also, listen, if you're going to subscribe and you haven't already left us a, a review on iTunes, please do that too. Have a great day, and thanks so much, Rockstar Nation. I really appreciate you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.